the big names you know, the other guys you've never heard of, until now. This is Around the Nest, Jay talking around the Blue Jays minor league system. It is time for another week of Jay talking our way around the Blue Jays organization. I'm Jesse goldberg Strassler with the Lansing Lugnuts. And let us begin this week with a team that already knows that it is playoff bound. 2-2 pitch. Swung on and missed. Strike three. A high fastball. And the ball game is over. The Blue Jays pick up the victory here in game one of the doubleheader. Game one of the four-game series. The final score. Dunning two and Florida nothing, and with the win, the Blue Jays have clinched the Florida State League North Division title in the first half, punching their tickets to the playoffs. That voice that you just heard is Jim Tarabokia, and he is the voice of the Dunedin Blue Jays, who are postseason bound. Jim, congratulations. Thank you, Jesse. I'm looking forward to it. Um, this would be this is my fifth year. Uh, I'm humble bragging here, so I apologize ahead of time, but this is my fifth year now in professional baseball. And this is with that win on Monday, well, the doubleheader win on Monday, um, and then clinching the playoffs, that secures what would be a fourth time in 55 years that um, I'm part of a winning uh, organization or winning team. Um, we finished last year, win, one win over 500, um, and, uh, and we didn't make the playoffs. But this year we, we will be going, and I'm very, uh, very excited about it. That game was a 2 nothing win. Then they followed up in game two. They won 11 nothing. Then they followed up the very next day, and they shut out the Florida Fire Frogs again. What can you say about yeah. J.J.'s pitching? Yeah, you know, Jackson Reese, I remember you told me a little bit about him um, when he was coming up. And this goes for Mike Allenbest as well. Um, this goes for pretty much everybody on the staff. Um, their pitches, and I know Florida's struggling right now. I was told yesterday going into that ball game before it was, uh, before it was canceled that um, they they were held scoreless um, for 37 consecutive innings. Um, 21 oh. of those innings, way well, yeah, right, I know. <laughs> 21 of those innings were um, were from our pitching staff. But uh, well, you know, a down in when you're in Osceola, when you're at Osceola County Stadium, I don't know if you've ever been. Um, uh, former home of the Houston Astros in spring training and. Um, in semi Florida, you're pretty low, um, and and the booth and the press box area has a good vantage point if you like being low, and you can really see um, the pitches and movement on pitches. For example, I mean T.J. Zoik, who was rehabbing with us um, in Game One of that uh, of that doubleheader, pitched four innings, struck out seven of the final nine hitters he faced. I can see every fastball and how much cut it actually had um, horizontally. Um, uh, east to west or west to east, depending on how you're looking at it from the left-hand batter's box or right-handed perspective. Um, and I could see the shape of his of his breaking pitches, and that goes for everybody. And I, I could see the shape of all their breaking pitches and and their how nasty their sliders were. And I got to tell you, you know, we've, I've seen some good offenses this year in the league: Clearwater and, and Daytona. Um, St. Lucie has a pretty good offense as well. I think they're underrated. Um, but I don't, I don't think any offense would have touched our pitching the way it's been uh, going back. I mean, you, you know, you can exclude and give a mulligan to Sunday's game. Um, uh, I mean, our bullpen was phenomenal last Friday, phenomenal on Saturday, securing those two pivotal wins, which ultimately pretty much put us in the position uh, to say, okay, it's now a matter of uh, when, not if anymore, um, when we're going to clinch. Um, and then just those three games against, uh, against Florida, um, 
you know, to, to, to watch, watch that pitching and, and how good it really was. Um, and even the, the next day, you know, you come back, it's just kind of show and, do, show and go type day. And you're expecting the team to um, not be uh, as awake uh, or as uh, ready to go. They still shut Florida out. Um, you know, so the, I think our pitching with the way going into the all-star break with how well they've done, I don't know how many of those guys will even be back starting the second half because they're pitching so well. Um, but based off how well they, they did, I, I don't think any team could have touched us. We were virtually unhittable pretty much going back to last Friday. I am absolutely expecting that Josh Winkowski is going to be sent right up to you after the All-Star break for us. You're into the All-Star break in the Florida State League. We have the Midwest League All-Star break coming yes. up. You're about to get a pretty darn good starter. But if you were in charge, which players would you move up to AA New Hampshire? Yeah, and that's a good question. I think, um, you know, you, I, you have to, and, and everybody who you talk to here, Tyler and, and, and yourself and Pat and, and Rob, they'll all say, and if I'm missing anybody, sorry, but um, they'll all say the same thing where selfish reasons and for the team, because you're with this team every single day um, throughout the six-month duration of, of the summer, and this is your life, I don't have to tell you that, um, you're with these guys and, and you, you want to form that core like they have the major league level um, to where you, you see them every day and, and um, you want the same guys to stay with you, um, the ones that helped you win, you know, but, but I think going into this, you know, that, you know, in, in affiliated minor league baseball, that's just not the way it is. And, and you can't get too attached to these guys and hope the guys who come up, um, you know, will succeed. And, you know, I've seen that the last two years. I'm seeing it now, obviously this year with a couple of guys going up, Riley Adams being one and, you know, whoever, you know, whoever else has gone up, I'm, I can't really remember. But um, I, I think if you put that aside and you look at it just straight from, you know, the, the player development side, side and, and like you said, if you're the boss, obviously Logan Warren has to go up. I mean, he's hitting 10 straight, 12 of his last 14. Um, and he's hitting 344 since May 23rd, which is the fourth best batting average in all of the FSL um, going into play yesterday. So he'd be a guy that I would certainly send up. Um, I think uh, there are a couple of wild card guys that I'd look at um, that would, that would go up as well. Um, I would look at maybe sending up one of our, one of a relief, one of our um, late inning relievers, uh, maybe a Brad Wilson type, um, maybe send him up. I know he made that big jump last year from rookie ball, but I mean, he right now is untouchable. I mean, he's the guy right now in the bullpen who um, can pick up, a uh, save on any given night. Um, you know, he recorded that last out. Um, I think um, the way that Turner Larkins has pitched, um, I think he might warrant a promotion as well. So, I mean, those are kind of the guys that I'm looking at. And I know Maximo's pitching well, but for me, um, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to uh, moving guys up. So I think Maximo being as young as he is, 20 years old, I think um, it wouldn't hurt him at all to still be at the advanced day level. Because, but he is pitching great, and he's become the anchor um, of our rotation. So those are probably the guys I'd look at right now and say, yeah, that those guys, they, they have earned themselves a, uh, a promotion. And, and even Cullen Large being on the seven-day injured list, um, he'd be a guy when he comes back, I'd look at and, and I'd, I'd say, well, it's only a matter of time. It's not if, but it's, it's when. Um, so he'd be another guy that I would, I would also um, – send up to double A and, and see what they can do because they've, they've earned it. You know, Marsha Pyro has said this before and other people have said in the organization, 
You know, you earn your call up and you earn the, you earn your promotion. You call yourself up. You promote yourself. We don't promote you. Um, that's a great figure of speech, and, and I think those guys that I just named, they, they have promoted themselves at this point in the year. Let me go back to a player that you mentioned early on about talking about your relief crew. Mike Ellenbest was a Lansing Lugnut starter and then uh, reliever in two, uh, 2017. And then he missed all of 2018 after undergoing the surgery. And then this year, he did not join you until well after spring training ended. And yet he's pitched right. very effectively for you. What have you been seeing from Ellen mm-hmm. Best? Yeah, and I think it goes back to the Brighton staff. Um, you know, he's not a guy who's going to blow you away with his fastball. So I think working um, with, his, with his slider shape um, with our pitching coach, Jim Sankowski, and um, and, and understanding that he has to be able to throw that first strike at any point um, in the count. Because, again, he doesn't throw, you know, that hard. I mean, as compared to, you know, what the game is today, 94 to 97, right? Everybody's throwing that. Um, he, he doesn't throw that hard. There's nothing wrong with that. Turner doesn't throw that, throw that hard either. But they're, they're able to command. What they're doing is they're able to command their slider and throw it at any point in the count and get guys out, keep guys off balance, and keep that – slider in the same tunnel as it would be with their fastball, which has some cut already to it, and that's how you can keep guys off balance and have that, that shape and that late horizontal movement, which Ellen Best has, the same thing with Turner. I think that's really um, been a huge key to success. Speaking with Jim Tarabokia with the Dunedin Blue Jays, who have now hit their all-star break, do you have any plans for these couple of days without any DJ's regular season baseball? Probably watch some film, watch more baseball. Um, um, hmm. My diet's pretty good because Cat, um, uh, our uh, our dietitian, um, feeds the players well, and a lot of times there's a lot of leftovers, so I eat a lot of that stuff. Um, so my diet's good. I don't need to catch up on that. Um, maybe catch up on some sleep. Um, and I don't. I don't really know. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's it, you know. It's it's funny. It's because I, I'm, not, I'm not going to the All Star game. I never was going to go. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, it's a quick weekend. I mean, it's already, you know, 4 o'clock on Friday. I mean, so, you know, before you know it's Sunday night, I'll be packing, you know, ready to drive back into work. So I don't think um, uh, it's going to go quick. I don't really have many <laughs> many plans. So And the weather doesn't look too promising. But, you know, I'll get, you know, spend a little time with my dad on Sunday as well for Father's Day. Well, cool. Jim Taraboka, congratulations on the DJs clinching the playoff berth, and enjoy your days to relax. Well, Jesse, thank you. And you know what? A lot of the guys that we took from Lansing uh, helped, certainly helped that too and are starting to really contribute as well. So thank you for, for those guys that you sent us. You're welcome for Alejandro, Kirk, Connor Law, Tyler, Joey Tyler Murray, Tyler now Murray. Jackson Reese. Tell Tyler Murray I'm expecting a, a nice thank you from him as well for some of the guys that we're sending up to Double A New Hampshire. You know, we I will won, tell hey, we him to send games. you a fruit basket. We won basket. 41 games in the first half. We won 41 games in the first half, the most in the league. I think the most we've won one half since like 2012 or 2011 or whatever it was. And uh, if we had Riley Adams still with us or Nate Pearson still with us, we probably could have won like at least 52. So you're welcome, Tyler. You're welcome. Right. <laughs> Jim Tarabokia with the DJ's playoff bad. And from Jim, let's hop our way all the way up the ladder up to AAA. Let me bring in the voice of the herd, Pat Malacaro. Uh, of all those people that Jim mentioned DJ, the uh, DJ sending up, he only was mentioning the guy sent up to AA. Pat, they just sent you Bo Bichette. Welcome back, Bo. 
Absolutely. Back at the top of the card yesterday, and a spot he occupied for much of his 15 games with the Bison uh, before he broke his hand in April, and he's back in the top of the lineup today. The expectation is probably play two or three straight days, have an off day maybe tomorrow, uh, and then get back in the lineup Sunday. So uh, all systems go for Bo. He's joining a team that's been pretty hot lately, one seven of the last ten, uh, still sitting in fourth place in the division, eight games back of Scranton, which seems to be uh, really the class of the division at least, maybe in the International League by the time all is said and done. But uh, Bo is joining a very good team right now, and the Bisons are kind of clicking on all cylinders. I've seen the spotlight to Patrick Kivalahan, who has just been crushing it. How big has he been in your offense? You know, he's been one of the pieces that the Bisons have been um, benefiting from guys maybe uh, not succeeding as well as they'd we'd expect at the big league level. And in the case of Patrick Kivalahan, just a veteran player that I think didn't fit in necessarily in Indianapolis. Um, and when he was acquired, we thought he might end up joining the Bisons right away because of his AAA and big league experience. But, you know, he goes and hits better than 400 with New Hampshire and hits a couple of home runs against his former team in the last two days in, in Indianapolis. And, you know, it sometimes it just doesn't work for a guy. And for whatever reason, Jake Elmore was that guy uh, a couple of years ago with the Bisons. He was back in the big leagues this year. Last year he played well for Charlotte. This year he was good in Indy. He's back with the I-Tribe now. You know, sometimes it just takes going to a different team and, and meshing differently in a different setting. And Kibblehan has already exceeded his totals over a month plus with Indy in his uh, about two and a half, three weeks with the Bisons. Uh, last week we talked about, based on the question, which players with the Buffalo Bisons were positioning themselves to go right back up to Toronto. And you talked about what Teoscar Hernandez was doing. And you just mentioned about those players who maybe had not been performing well with Toronto, and they are performing well with you. Who would you like to spotlight of those players who, with the Buffalo Bisons, they're showing just how good they can be offensively? Well, I think Billy McKinney is one of those guys, um, him and Socrates Brito. Uh, Brito is a natural athlete. Um, I, I look at him the way he plays the outfield for his size, has very good strides in is very good instincts as well. So uh, maybe AAA is, is the best spot for him. I don't know. Um, it, you know. It didn't work out first time around with Toronto, um, but he has definitely excelled here, and he's been uh, one of the catalysts for the Bisons. He had five RBIs the other day uh, in the 14-run win for the Bisons, their 14-6 win yesterday, a couple more in the 11-3 victory over uh, Louisville. So he's been an important piece. We talked about the guys that, um, you know, like you said, yeah, have come down from Toronto and really helped Buffalo uh, win seven of the last ten. Brito and then the job that McKinney's done to help not only in, in the outfield, but can play first base for this team too. A uh, versatile spot and a left-handed bat in the lineup as well. Speaking with Pat Malacaro of the Buffalo Bisons and talking about the AAA herd and how things are currently going, David Phelps has been making his rehab appearances with you, whether starting or out of the bullpen recently at one inning at a time. How's he been looking? He looked very good. Uh, he was actually the quote-unquote opener the last time Ryan Fearbent was supposed to start. Uh, just just something to get him his inning in early, get out of the way, and, and let him pitch. And then he pitched uh, two days ago. He went back-to-back, pitched an inning of relief uh, against Indianapolis on Wednesday, and then yesterday faced two batters. And that was all just to make sure that uh, the surgically repaired elbow 
um, responded well, and all indications are that he is still on track to join the Toronto Blue Jays uh, in Houston this weekend and, you know, go through the final preparations for what is the expectation of uh, to be activated by the Blue Jays within the next week or so. This is all uh, part of the process in his return to play program. And, and I talked to him the other day. He wanted to be ready. He thought he would be ready for opening day, and that was the expectation. And uh, his arm, his body just did not respond uh, the way he and the Blue Jays would have liked. But he took the extra time, trusted everything that was going on, and, and trusting the training staff and medical professionals here uh, who worked with him really for the first time uh, in spring training. And it has all gone uh, not maybe as according to plan, but at least uh, it, it's getting to the point where he should be ready to join the Blue Jays uh, in the next week or so. As I don't expect uh, we'll see David Phelps again. Another player who maybe things have not gone according to plan with him, and yet every single time that I look at the box score, it just feels like he's doing positive things. How has Anthony Alford been as of late? Uh, he's been on a tear. He had a really bad month of April, and it's really so. And he worried about some of the things that he can't control. Um, he spoke with a reporter uh, recently and, and mentioned just how the mental side of the game kind of got in the way, worrying about who was getting called up and who wasn't. Um, you know, nearly being uh, on the opening day roster in Toronto and then at the last moment uh, was not. And the miscommunication uh, maybe that, that went on where he thought he was going to be on the 25-man roster. So not worrying about that, um, not worrying about social media and what people may be saying uh, that, that don't know uh, the work that he's putting in and the effort that he's, he's putting in here. So uh, letting a lot of that go and working with um, people like Tanya and Ben on the mental performance side and, you know, working through some of those things. Um, it's not easy to be an athlete in 2019 uh, with, with all the distractions that can be there. So getting rid of those, uh, he's been one of the catalysts for the Bisons offensively. Uh, we saw it in, in, Mar or in May, excuse me, and we've also seen it here at the start of April, or I'm losing track of my month, start, start of June here, um, and at the top of the lineup has been one of those guys that has set the table. He and Jonathan Davis have been really the table setters uh, that got on base and allowed guys to drive in runs, and Alford now leads the team in RBIs as well, so he's doing it um, both on the bases and at the plate. And, Pat, let me wrap up with you with how was Star Wars night? <laughs> it was awesome as always. Uh, Unfortunately, Bo wasn't with us, uh, as we talked about last time, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, players enjoyed uh, the night. Uh, more than 15,000 folks at the ballpark and uh, getting a sneak preview of what the final uh, on-field battle scene was going to be like. I know fans went home happy, and um, it, it was a fun night at the ballpark, and I'm looking forward to next year's and just what we can put together for it as well. All right, beautiful. Any final thoughts for this week? Well, this, is, this will be a good weekend for the Bisons as they play another team in the International League West in Louisville. Uh, the West seems to be struggling. Uh, the top two teams uh, seem to be the class, and then you know the, the bottom two teams in the division are struggling. So you pick up some wins here. Now we're, we're getting to the halfway point. The next time we talk, Jesse, we'll be past the halfway point uh, of the 2019 schedule. So this is the time where if you can make up some ground, we'll see Scranton-Wilkesbury again very soon. Uh, it could get interesting in a team that kind of buried themselves a little bit uh, in the month of, of May and towards the end of April uh, can get right back in the race. Please wish Nick well for me, all right? You got it. Thanks, Jesse. 
Pat Malacara, the voice of the herd. Follow him on Twitter at PatWGR. Jim Tarabokia at Jim Tara, by the way, covering up, uh, covering the A Advanced Dunedin Blue Jays voice. And so from A Advanced to AAA, now let's go to AA. Tyler Zickel joins us now. Tyler, how are you? Jesse, I'm fantastic. Happy Friday. Happy Around the Nest. Greeting you from Richmond, Virginia. We're here at the Diamond as the Cats and the Flying Squirrels get set for game one of their three-game weekend series here on the Boulevard. All right. And, you know, from the Diamond, please wish Trey Wilson well, an alumnus of Around the Nest. Hey, how much are you enjoying all of those players that Jim Tarabokia was missing from Dunedin? Well, I'll say this. First and foremost, gratitude is my attitude. So thanks to Jim and the DJs for sending up some fantastic talent. So a first-half championship in the Florida State League is a nice consolation for losing some of these guys, specifically Riley Adams and Nate Pearson, of course, as were mentioned. And today is Logan Warmoth Day. Looking forward to his double-A debut as he bats ninth today for the Fisher Cats. Nice to have him on board. And John Harris, although he's not necessarily a DJ outright this season, didn't make that rehab start for Dunedin a couple of days ago. He is back with New Hampshire, so yet another guy with championship experience from last year returning to this roster. And as the first half wraps up in what is the first split season in the Eastern League this year, I can speak for the players when I say that they are very excited to get home after this trip and start the second half anew. Yeah, that, uh, that actually forestalls my question. We've had split seasons in Dunedin in the Florida State League and in Lansing in the Midwest League and in Vancouver in the Northwest League. What has been the consensus? What is everybody's thoughts about starting up a split season play in the Eastern League? I think around the circuit, it's certainly been wholeheartedly welcomed to the new format this year, simply because it gives teams like New Hampshire this year or last year, for example, the Portland Sea Dogs, who started out awful, the Sea Dogs did. The Fisher Cats this year, they were fine, although unfortunately the Cats are a season low, seven games under 500 coming into tonight's game here at Richmond. But Portland was the best team of our league in the second half last year, yet they had nothing to show for it. So now, you have the opportunity after the first 70 games of the year to reset, reconfigure, use some of the talent from the lower levels and find a way to punch your ticket to the postseason. And even the first place club, the Harrisburg Senators, who started the season 18-2 and two and pretty much had the Western Division wrapped up from the first two weeks of the year on, those guys even are in support of it because it gives them an opportunity to not only stay uh, stay in the playoff picture, even if they have a bad second half, but it makes things a lot more interesting in the circuit. And I think overall it's going to vote for some better baseball down the stretch. Talking about better baseball, how many times have you ever in your life seen a player steal home to walk off a victory? Other than in the sandlot, zero times. Uh, Other than in the sandlot. Right, exactly. Santiago Espinal with some absolute wizardry the other night. In fact, we're playing as our Copa de la Diversión identity tonight, Gatos Ferosis in New Hampshire here in Richmond. But the last time we were the Gatos was when Santiago stole home, and I was in the home dugout on the first base side in that inning watching all the plays happen, and to see him come home with a left-hander on the mound, it was completely stolen off the pitcher, and while Espinal deserves the credit for making it happen, it was our manager, Mike Mordecai, handling the third-base coaching duties, who realized that the opportunity was there. And I spoke to Santi after the game, and he said, I said to him, hey, did you go on your own? He said, no, man, it was Morty who told me that, you know, when he got his chance to take that opportunity. So Mike Mordecai, he's locked in in the third-base coach's box. And such an exciting moment to walk off, not just for the players, 
But for all of our fans in the ballpark that night, everybody was surprised, pleased, and left home happy because the Caps were winners. And then you followed it up the very next day, June the 9th. Did you think that that should have been a no-hitter combined between Pearson and Ortiz? Well, I think we can tell ourselves in our heart of hearts that Nate and Willie pitched well enough for a no-no, and although if this was the big leagues, the Fisher Cats would have challenged that call, which we posted on the Fisher Cats Twitter account, with the slow-mo replay, thanks to Tyler Murray, and I think the Fisher Cats, with a couple of more camera angles, would have had a case for that call to be overturned and the batter to be ruled out. But that said, if you believe in the butter- butterfly effect, which I do, maybe the game gets changed by a no-hitter going deep into that contest, and the Cats aren't able to make it happen, so hindsight being 20-20, yes, Willie and Nate certainly had the stuff worthy of a no-hitter, and although they got one hit, those Richmond Flying Squirrels did last time, Nate and Willie still able to face just 27 batters, which is a testament to both of their abilities on the hill. Zick, any final thoughts for this week? Uh, nothing other than the Fisher Cats coming off their first sweep at Bowie or against the Bowie Bay Sox for the first time since 2012, so a little bit of a down point for New Hampshire, but as we've already touched on, second half, springing a new next week, and an opportunity for a talented Fisher Cats club who I think is just now starting to figure out who they are, looking forward to seeing what they can do in the second half. And one of the guys I am most excited for is Kevin Smith. He had a fantastic series back in Maryland, his first return to the Chesapeake Bay State since he played as a Terp in college before becoming a fourth-round selection a couple of years ago by the Blue Jays, had a three-run dinger yesterday and four extra base hits in the series. So for Kevin to start to wake up at the dish and bring that power as well as the knowledge, not just at the plate but in the field that he's got, he's one of the most cerebral and intelligent players I've had the pleasure of working next to. Looking forward to him to lead this team to a strong second half and hopefully a second consecutive Eastern League championship come September. You know, that's my state. That's the old Lions state, baby. Glad that you could go back there in Prince George's Stadium, where I uh, went to so many games growing up. Tyler Zickel with the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Enjoy the diamond in Richmond. Indeed, Jesse. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure landing in the nest, and I'll speak to you next time. All right. And from Zick, let's go someplace else. You've heard from Dunedin. You've heard from Buffalo. You've heard from New Hampshire. You might think that next you're going to hear from Lansing. After all, I broadcast the Lansing Lugnuts games. Not yet. Let's talk Vancouver. The Vancouver Canadians are underway right now. It is their opening day. They are playing a nooner. Rob Fay is the voice of the Vancouver Canadians, and yesterday I got together with Rob, and we previewed the C's season. It is time now to talk Vancouver Canadians, and so let's bring in Rob Fay, the voice of the C's. Rob, you've had the chance to meet your C's. What do you think about this 2019 squad? Well, I'm waiting for the Calgary to come. We only have 22 players on our roster, Jesse. Good afternoon. And, uh, yeah, we're just hours away from the first pitch here between the Vancouver Canadians and the Indians. Um, it is a team that's got uh, some decent pitching, from what I hear. Uh, we're, very, uh, we're very sparse when it comes to infielders and outfielders. I saw Brett Wright taking balls over at first week, something I'd never seen before. Um, but all lies today on Adam Kloffenstein, the third-rounder from last year's draft, who um, is very impressive, to say the least. He is the Clough. I saw your interview with him. What struck you about talking to the big right-hander? He's very confident. It's actually like, I, I don't want to use the word comical because there is some, you know, arsenal behind it. But, man, you just look in his eyes and he anticipates being in the major leagues by the time he's 21, 22. And um, it's Stroman-esque 
if you if you've ever crossed uh, paths with Marcus Stroman. Uh, it's a little a little more humble than that, but it's not far behind. He's very confident. He's got five pitches. He wants to throw them at any count, at any time, in any situation, and uh, just absolutely is determined to be the best pitcher in any circuit that he's in. And looking at the other two guys who are scheduled to pitch this weekend, Grant Townsend was drafted out of Oral Roberts, same school that produced Jordan Romano, and William Gaston, who I believe is out of Cuba. What do you know about the rest of your starters? Well, we were, I was talking to pitching coach Dimitri Kokos, who's a first-year pitching guy within the Blue Jays organization, and he couldn't stop raving about the swiping, sweeping slider that Grant Townsend has. He says it's one of the best plus-plus pitches that he has seen in all of extended spring training. Um, intriguing, to say the least. So he gets the game two start. That is a nationally televised game up here in Canada. It's a game that will be on Sportsnet Pacific. So even though the cloth, King Cloth gets the ball on Friday for the opener, all eyes coast-to-coast will be on Grant Townsend. And uh, Dimitri Coker says that's the right guy. He's got a great demeanor, uh, three pitches, a great arsenal. And then, of course, we get the Cuban. I don't know how many times we're going to be able to get him back and forth across the border. And I say that with a little bit of seriousness to it because um, (laughs) the U.S.-Canada border, he can come to Canada. I just don't know how easy it is for him to get back. We've actually been in series where teams in the Northwest League have not brought their Cuban players to Vancouver because of the paperwork and the logistical challenges. So a great assignment, guy that throws real well, young kid, great upside. That, for me, is kind of the thing in the background that I'm watching, just making sure that he can get to and fro uh, nice and easy. Rob, you mentioned appearing on Sportsnet Pacific. How pumped are you? Uh, I think on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm about a 7 or 8. I just want to make sure logistically we can actually get the signal on. Once I see the picture on the TV, I'll be ready to go. But my color guy, Ricky Romero, former all-star at the major league level, he's super nervous. He's unbelievably prepared, and uh, he's super excited. He flies up here tomorrow. He'll be here for the weekend, and uh, I can't believe like, I'm still just I'm still kicking myself here, pinching myself that Ricky Romero is the color commentator for our entire season on television. Very cool, and I think Blue Jay fans will enjoy checking in on him. The Vancouver Canadians about to open up their Northwest League campaign. I'm looking around the rest of your roster. Don Abadessa began the season in Lansing. Rob, I don't know if you've had the chance to talk to him yet. He was the funniest guy in the Midwest League while he was here. Yeah, he's got that uh, Huntington Beach humor, which is kind of laid back, and it fits in perfectly here on the West Coast. And he came up to me, and the first thing he says is, how did I look in my picture? Because, of course, minutes after they get off the plane, we run them through the gauntlet here for media day because we have such a quick turnaround. So you get their program book photo, their website photo, their video board photo, and uh, he was very quick to see if the hair, if the flow was working well. So I'll tell you this, as everybody on the roster, the guy that I'm most intrigued with, and you've touched in this year as well, is McGregory Contreras. He's a guy that I think could hit 10 home runs here and 10 fly balls here. So I'm not sure which will get first, but uh, very intriguing to see if he's turned the corner defensively because we all know what he can do offensively. McGregory Contreras and Lansing, his defense was not poor. And Dallas McPherson told me that he was one of the hardest workers on the team. And everything that the coaches wanted from him, they got from him. So my anticipation is that he should be taking a major step forward from what you saw from him last year to this year. Well, I'm hoping so because Scott Bailey Stadium in Vancouver has got a quirky left field, and that's why I saw him situated more than any other position last year in 2018. And with the fence being just 
320 feet away, balls where you think you've got an extra 5, 10, 15 feet, all of a sudden your back is caressing the left field wall. And I think there's some creaks and tricks to that part of the ballpark that I'm hoping uh, he's made adjustments to. So we'll see. And again, he led our team in home runs last year, so offense, that is not an issue. If anything, I just want to make sure the defense rounds out. All right, and then one last thing. I want to catch up with you in terms of the 22 players that you don't have yet your full complement of the roster as the draftees will likely fill things out. What do you remember in the past of when you suddenly had that influx of draft picks joining the Canadians? Uh, it's one of the most intriguing things, Jesse, is because you've got all these guys that have spent, what, the last two months down at extended spring training. They've gone through the Florida heat. They've earned their keep. They come up to Vancouver because they've done nothing but hear about Vancouver. And then all of a sudden within, well, I guess, what, five days, a week, all of a sudden you get these kids that come in. They've still got their college bags where their bats and, and gloves are. And, uh, of course, there's handshakes and there's a lot of camaraderie. But at the same time, it's like, oh, man, I just grinded down in Florida in 100-degree temperatures, and this guy's going to take my spot. But you know what? They're all pulling the rope the same way. The college kids are wide-eyed. The second-year guys are kind of like, man, I really got to work hard. And I think more than anything, Jesse, not to you know make a short question into a long answer, but you see these guys, and I think when the college kids come into the clubhouse, the second-year guys realize that the bell just got rung, and they're no longer the new kid on the block, and it's time to get to work. I love it. The voice of the seas, Rod, say happy opening day and happy return of baseball. Thank you, sir. And I'll tell you what, we've got a couple of former love nets like Dominic, and they all rave about Jesse Goldberg's Strassler. So good on you, and thanks for having me. <laughs> you can find Rod Fay on Twitter at Rob Fay Nation. That was my preview with Rob talking about the seas who are in action right now. And yes, they do have all of those draft picks. The Vancouver Canadians and their starting lineup, the top 10 rounders, Cameron Eden starting at third base, Tanner Morris starting at shortstop, Trevor, uh, maybe it's Schwecky, maybe it's Schweck. I believe he was taken in the 13th rounder thereabouts out of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He's starting at second base. Will Robertson, the fourth rounder, the right fielder out of Creighton, and he's uh, batting fourth in the order. So one, two, three, four. Batting fifth, Ronnie Brito acquired in the Russell Martin deal from the uh, L.A. Dodgers. Then there's Jesus Lopez, the catcher, picked up from the Oakland A's in the exchange for Kendrys Morales. And then McGregory Contreras hitting seventh, Yeoman Rodriguez eighth, and Dominic Abadessa ninth. That is a lineup that on paper looks like they should be able to score some runs. They're opening up the season against the Spokane Indians. That should be a lot of fun to watch Vancouver as they progress. Next week, the Bluefield Blue Jays will be in action. That is the uh, advanced rookie level short season ball play for the Toronto Blue Jays organization. And Zach Helton, I believe, is still the broadcaster there. So we'll check in with Zach and we'll see how Bluefield is looking to start up their year. They'll have more draft picks. They'll have more top prospects. So it's good to get more teams in action. As Rob used to joke, we weren't around the nest when we got in the Canadians and the Bluefield Blue Jays. We suddenly were around the chest because he didn't like that my original logo that I created for around the nest did not have the Canadian C. So we put in the C and it became around the chest. Now, as far as my single-A Lansing lug nuts, well, maybe you've heard about this man. The right-handed reliever readies. Throws. Conine hits it high in the air to dead center. Rotor goes back, warning track, wall, goodbye! He hits it out to the right of the batter's eye. A massive two-run homer. Seven to five, Lugnuts. 
Flex those muscles, Griffin Conine. It is his second consecutive two-run homer. Who needs a triple when you can take another round-trip tour? Griffin Conine had another monster game this past week. He was four for five with two two-run homers, a single, a double. He knocked in five. He scored three runs, that against the South Bend Cubs. Conine is simply an imposing presence from the left side. His bat waving above his head, his stance open, his right front foot tapping. Meanwhile, from right field, he had a game earlier this week where he had two different outfield assists, including throwing a Lake County captain out at home plate and their second baseman, Jose Fermin. Fermin running well, one of the Cleveland top prospects. And Conine got that throw online and there at home well before Fermin arrived. So it continues to be fun to watch Griffin Conine. You will continue to see those swing and miss stats. He continues to strike out. We'll keep our eyes on those. But when he makes contact, my goodness. That home run was 430 feet. That was over the batter's eye in center at Four Winds Field in South Bend, where only one prior person had done so in the history of Four Winds Field. But, okay, they tell me after the fact, four years of Four Winds Field, they were not counting the history of the Cove. Stanley Kowaleski Regional Stadium, uh, where Javier Baez hit one over the batter's eye, Mark Reynolds hit one over the batter's eye. Still, that select company, and he is a strong man. He hit one 118, we heard, exit velocity and batting practice. That one, I believe, was, uh, once again, easily triple digits. It might have been 108 or thereabouts. But just to watch Conine with the violence that he swings, and yet all of the different preparation that he puts into it, he is perpetually practicing his stroke, perpetually trying to figure out what he can do to be a better offensive performer. He's been a terror. Gabriel Moreno continues to have days out of nowhere where he just lights things up and you understand how much offensive ability that he has. I heard a scout describe him the other day as a puppy. He is a puppy. He's young. He's 19. You be patient with Moreno, but the offensive ability continues to be fascinating. The other lead story with the Lansing Lugnuts, the long road trip. A 10-day, 11-game road trip, and they went 6-5 and five on the road trip. And finally, it is over at Great Lakes, at Lake County, at South Bend, and come on back home. Josh Winkowski is going to get the start today. Then Winkowski, Kobe Johnson, Jake Brote, Nick Podkul, Ryan Gold will represent the Lansing Lugnuts and the Toronto Blue Jays organization in Tuesday's Midwest League All-Star Game from South Bend, Indiana. Jake Brote should be among those competing in the Home Run Derby. He's a little bit of a worry. Brote was hit by a pitch in the left hand. That was an extra innings in game one of the doubleheader against South Bend on Wednesday. And he immediately exited the game. His hand was swelling. But it turns out Jake Brote is a mutant, as in Wolverine, and his hand the next day was not swollen at all, and he's back in the starting lineup for Friday night series opener against the Bowling Green Hot Rods, the first of three games to close out the regular season's first half in the Midwest League. The Lugnuts against Bowling Green. And Wander Franco, just written up as ESPN.com's cover boy by Jeff Passan. We've gotten to see how good Wander Franco is. Earlier on in Around the Nest, you heard Jim Tarabokia discuss Kat, the dietitian for the Dunedin Blue Jays. And you know I always like to end each episode of Around the Nest letting you know this or that, all these different anecdotes, all the ins and outs. The Lugnuts, just like the rest of the affiliates, have a dietitian. Allison is her name, Allison Trofe. And I sat down with her to ask her about her position and what people might not know about uh, the ballplayers, everything that goes into dietetics. So, to conclude this week's Around the Nest, 
a conversation with Lansing Lugnuts dietitian Allison Trofe. This is Jesse Goldberg Strassler, joined by Lansing Lugnuts team dietitian Allison Trofe. Allison, your second year with the Lugnuts, but this year full time in terms of traveling on the road as well. This year, in your second year with the Lansing Lugnuts, how has your position changed besides the obvious? Yeah, so the position is obviously a lot more comprehensive. Um, the biggest difference from last year to this year is we are we're on the road, so it's um, every affiliate has a dietitian now that's full time. So um, we're doing a lot of the same the same types of we have a lot of the same types of responsibilities, except we are taking a bigger role on the road this year, um, traveling everywhere, making sure pre and post game meals are set up every single place we go on the road, um, and getting a little bit more done when we're on the road with the team. Last year we had to do everything at home, and this year we're able to do a little bit more because we're, we're traveling with, with the team everywhere they go. Last year, you took some exploratory trips on the road just to see what the road experience is like. What are the road challenges like for the players? For the players, um, the biggest challenges I see are just having access to good food. So, you know, we, we stay in, sometimes we stay in some good hotels, sometimes some not, not so great hotels, and sometimes those hotels don't have food options around them. So it's, um, you know, I'm thankful that we have a, a great bus driver that will drive them places that might have some more um, healthful options for them. But in general, you know, the the not all of the places have healthy food choices available that are you know good for their their performance. Um, and then also just the schedule in general. So just as an example, you know, we might have a 7 p.m. game that goes until we get back at midnight, and then the next day we might have a day game that starts at 10:30. And so it's just you know the eating schedule is a little bit a little bit off where they might be eating really late and then they're getting in super early so they're you know they're losing sleep and um, you know their their hunger cues and those types of things might be a little bit off just because of the, the schedule so those are the biggest challenges I see when people hear that you're the lug nuts dietitian what misconceptions do they have misconceptions yes is there anything that people might think about the role or might not understand all of the different things that you do for this team? Yeah, I think that's actually a really good question. I think a lot of times, especially on the road, um, people think that all we're doing is the food, but there's actually um, a lot of things we do behind the scenes. For example, um, we're controlling pretty much everything the players put into their bodies as far as supplements um, to make sure what they're taking is safe and effective. Um, so we, we monitor that on every single player. We also do body composition, so we're doing um, body comp every eight weeks and following up to make sure the players are getting to, you know, what, what whatever their goal body composition is for their position, whether they're a pitcher or they're a hitter and they're trying to put on muscle mass. Um, so we do that every eight weeks. We also do hydration testing. So we'll actually make sure that every player has their own individualized hydration plan to make sure that they're cognitively functioning appropriately, especially, you know, on the mound for pitchers. Um, hydration is really, really important. Um, also, caffeine timing is really important for these guys, especially with the crazy schedule that I was just talking about. So yeah, I think a lot of times it ends up, because food is a, is, a, is a big piece of the job, I think people a lot of times think that's all we do, but there's a lot of things behind the scenes we're doing as well um, to just give them that little bit of an extra edge. What do you mean caffeine timing? Yeah, so with caffeine, there's, there's kind of, and everybody has sort of an upper limit, and it's based on your body weight. So with, especially again with our pitchers, because caffeine, what the research shows with caffeine is that a couple of things that helps you, can help a pitcher or, or any athlete stay focused cognitively, and then also can delay fatigue. So we want to make sure that um, our, our players have, they know that upper limit, they know how sensitized they are to caffeine, and so we set that for them and we kind of play with that during practice to make sure that, you know, we're not going overboard or, or that they're not getting enough. 
then we need to time it appropriately. So there's a there's a kind of a caffeine window that it stays in your system for about four hours, but also there's a peak time. So we want to make sure that we're we're getting that down for every single player so that they're they're getting the maximum benefit from that caffeine. There's another variable that affects the players besides the different home road, the schedules of the game times. They have to deal with in April the cold, the rain, and in summer it's about to get very hot. How does that affect your position? Yeah, absolutely. So that's that goes back to hydration. So a lot of times, you know, when they do come in April in Michigan, it's there is snow on the ground, it is cold. They don't realize that they are still sweating, right? And they are still exerting themselves, which means they are losing they're losing water through through breathing too. Um, so continually giving those messages that even though it's cold out, you are still losing body water, right? So we do stuff to talk about hydration. We might just use it different ways. We might do like bone broth instead of using cold water, or we might do some sort of like tea or something like that. And then as we get into the summer months, the message will change a little. The message doesn't change and the fact that they are, we don't want them to be dehydrated, but we'll use different products. So we might use, um, you know, sports drinks or, uh, or more water instead of like bone broth and that type of thing. And finally, what are your goals for yourself, your position, and for this team moving forward through the rest of the year? Yeah, so my, my biggest goals with the team are, you know, I'm part of what's called our high performance team. So we have um, Justin Batcher, who's the strength and conditioning coach, and we have um, Hiroki, who is the athletic trainer, so we make up, and we have Rob, who's our mental performance coach. We make up the high performance team, and really our goal is to keep the players available, um, to keep the players healthy. And I, you know, Hiroki takes the biggest role in that, but we all play a piece in that. That we're truly, our goal is just to keep them healthy and keep them available, keep them on the field. So my my goal is is just to be a part of that team and um, make sure I'm a piece of the puzzle that's that's helping them be able to do that and helping them get to their goals, which. You know, no matter what that is, it's, um, that's what we're all here for. Allison, thank you very much. Of course, thank you. And thus concludes another episode of Around the Nest, Jay talking around the Blue Jays organization. Thanks to Allison Trove. Thanks to Rob Fay in Vancouver. Jim Tarabokia with Dunedin. Tyler Zickel with New Hampshire. Pat Malacaro with Buffalo. Hayden Godfrey and the minor leaguer from Bluebird Banter. I'm Jesse Goldberg-Strasser once again on Twitter, at Around Nest. At Jay Goldstrass for me, J-G-O-L-D-S-T-R-A-S-S. Send any comments, any questions, anything that we can do better, anything that we can help you get a good picture for what's going on in the Blue Jays organization. Till next week, enjoy the baseball.